0: Trying to figure out what it's all about. existentialist am I worth anything or just a scout?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Spending time all alone, sending my songs through the phone.
0: Dreaming of a better home, wing while focused on trying to hone. This craft, witchcraft. I hope the Brujas let this last.
1: That was Great Sounds of Watson without side of WNHH LP 103.5 FM New Haven. Myself, Preston, with my partner in crime, Long Island Raised, Elm City Made. EZ Blues is in the building. Easy Blues, you are better with introductions more than me. Who do we have with us today on Behind the Brand?
0: You know, when you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand, These are the moments where life can be some of the darkest, when you can truly don't see anything worth anything, even getting yourself out of the bed. And that's why it is so super important to have a strong team around you, the people around you, the energy that is created is so super important, especially coming out of the times in which we were all locked further down. Isolation can be real twisted because you get to sit alone with your own thoughts. And from there, you need to go on a journey to help put these thoughts back together and to be able to positively spin these thoughts. Now, for a while, you didn't know exactly what to do. You had to maybe go to your local street pharmacist, try to figure that out. But now there are people who are actually out there understanding the worth of positive enforcement and positive reinforcement. One of the top keys out there because when you can believe in yourself you can be bulletproof and for that i want to thank our next guest for showing everyone that they are worth the investment in investing in yourself to move forward even when you feel the lowest you can still rise to the heights of the highness and for that i want to thank them. so put your hands together not if you're driving if you're driving please Keep your hands at 10 and 2, but we do not need any accidents. But mentally, you can put your hands together for the amazing, we're only going to call her Barb, Nangle. Welcome, Benvenu. How are you?
2: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. This is my first time on radio. I do a lot of podcast guesting and ah. Facebook Lives and IG Lives, but I've never done a radio show before, so this is super exciting.
1: Yay! you are be the first. <laughs> That's what I'm sorry about. Well,
0: yeah, no, definitely. It's it's so super 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 interesting because you know there there is now this huge um, uptake on people making sure that they're taking care of their mental health. But this is not something that's just been around. I mean, bookstores have had self help sections for the longest of times. What makes you think? What makes it more accessible or more socially acceptable now? to, you know, do those positive type of things where we'll say even 10 10 to 15 years ago, Tony Robbins was a joke and now he's kind of more of a guru. Uh, What changed?
2: Yeah, I think uh, one, it's the internet. So Mm -hmm. online coaching is available to people 24-7 around the globe. Like I have a client in Thailand, you know, I have people that listen to my podcast in Um, you know, all over the world. So the internet has made uh, the promotion of healthy, uh, you know, mental health so much more accessible and also getting the word out about that. And I think also the internet has made our lives a lot easier in a lot of ways and made things faster. And that means that we can spend time at leisure taking care of ourselves. And then the third thing I think is the pandemic. It became very clear that a lot of people were really, really messed up. And when they had to stay in their homes and they had to, you know, not go out and do all different kinds of things, they realized, well, that life wasn't really working for me. And I am not fulfilled And they had to find simple ways within the walls of their homes and the people that they could be with and realize, you know, peace is really important to me. You know, so I think it's those things and I'm sure there's more too.
0: Hmm. Now, when you, when someone seeks out your services or, or, or listens to the podcast for that first time listener, what is the first step really? to this journey of, of wellness and this journey of, I call it oneness, but that's only because I have no other better word than that.
2: Yeah. I think realizing that your life is not working for you in 12 step mm-hmm. recovery, we say admitting that our lives have become unmanageable. Like it's just like what I'm doing isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's the first step. I mean, I think in any problem, we say like awareness is the first step step because if you don't know something is a problem why would you address it
0: Mm. okay (laughs) it's so super like for for myself in particular because i'm wired all sorts of differently wrong um it's really really interesting because you can get to a point you you're so conditioned with the darkness um that you don't even realize it's a it's a problem or Mm. you know you feel it becomes it's a problem, but this is the, the, but I'm worth this problem. And this is, this is, this is the one thing that I have that Mm -hmm. is mine. And I'm going Mm -hmm. to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. How do you take people a step outside of that? You know, because it's really comforting. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, Sometimes your sadness can be a real comfortable place to be. And sometimes being stuck in that rut can be super, Mm -hmm. super, super comfortable. because It's all, you know, Um, you know, and, and, you you have this this sparkling uh, personality that that allows people to take that step outside mm-hmm. of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something that you discovered through your recovery journey, or was that mm-hmm. something you always had before you just didn't have a name for it?
2: Yeah, I want to answer that in two ways. First, I want to address your term of comforting, and I mm-hmm. think like what I've discovered is that there's a difference between comfortable and comforting. Mm-hmm. So my lifestyle was comfortable because it was a well-worn groove, but it wasn't comforting. It wasn't promoting like health and comfort and solace, et cetera. So when I came to understand that I was comfortable in my life, but it wasn't comforting and that I really deserve to be comforted. Um, you know, that was a wake up call for me. And then uh, I I was a seeker. I mean, I got introduced to self help at about 24 and read self help books voraciously. I started therapy probably at 15. Mm-hmm. Um, I did workshops and workbooks and work groups and retreats and spiritual groups and like you name it, I was always a seeker and trying things. And the way that mm-hmm. I think about it is those things scratch the surface of the iceberg of my life when i got into 12-step recovery it melted the iceberg of my life mm-hmm. and i'd love to take a, yeah. a few moments to tell you like yeah, how please. i got into 12-step recovery if right. that's okay you'll indulge this, me
0: this this is 100 percent your story and whatever you feel awesome okay sharing, so, please do but okay we are on so, radio so just in case you want to hit it with that punctuation right. point
2: Yeah. Okay. So hello, Radio World fans. Um, So in the fall of 2014, I started volunteering on a project at my church. Um, Actually, since we're in the New Haven area, people will probably know Abraham's tent. And I, right around the time that that project was supposed to start, a homeless guy named Dan started coming to my, uh, my church as a parishioner and we became very friendly. And I took this as like a sign from the universe. Like I'm meeting a homeless person as a friend. So I'm getting to know homeless people as humans. So I'm not like serving the Mm -hmm. homeless on this project. I'm serving people. And it felt divinely inspired and a few months into our friendship, there was a snowstorm and I invited Dan to stay at my home, which I now know is not normal. And he did. And then he stayed another time and another time. And then a few weeks later, he was practically living with me. I felt trapped mm-hmm. in my home. He was an addict, and alcoholic, maybe also uh, a, a narcissist. And he messed with my head in a way that nobody ever had mm-hmm. before. And one day in therapy, I said, I was talking about him to my therapist and in mid sentence I stopped and I went, Oh my God, do you think I need to go to Al-Anon? And she was like, yes. So for anybody out there who doesn't know what Al-Anon is, it's a 12 step recovery program for the loved ones of alcoholics. So most people have probably heard of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the, the mother program of all 12 step recovery programs. And it's pretty clear why alcoholics might need a program of recovery. But what might not be clear is why do the loved ones of alcoholics need a program of recovery and the reason is that alcoholism is a family disease and the other reason is that the things that we do sort of naturally to either help our loved ones stop drinking or get them to stop drinking are actually counterproductive they tend to make us completely neglect and ignore ourselves and enable the abuse of the alcohol with by the other person. And so I knew about Al-Anon. And so I went home, and I went to Google, and I don't know what I put in there. But instead of finding an Al-Anon meeting, I came across the word codependent. And I was like, whoa, what is this word? How have I never heard of this before? Because it explains me And I have been trying for decades. I've been in therapy for decades. I'm super introspective. And how did I never know this word? So I started going to the 12-step recovery, Codependence Anonymous, and Mm -hmm. very soon said to somebody, I think I need to be reparented. And I didn't know that that was an actual thing that people do. I thought I made that up. Mm -hmm. And um, I have had a whole series of serendipitous events. I call them higher powered moments. Which is one reason why my business is called Higher Power Coaching and Consulting because I am higher powered, and my journey has been such. Well, six I like weeks I like into, a
0: lot.
2: yeah, thank you. You're my welcome. six weeks into my recovery in Codependence Anonymous, I went to Cape Cod to visit a friends, and Heidi in that couple had been in Alcoholics Anonymous for over ten years and always raved about how dramatically her life had shifted. So I'm telling her about CODA, which is the short name for Codependence Anonymous. And she said, you know, why don't we see if there's a meeting while you're here and I'll go with you? Well, she couldn't find one, but she found an ACA meeting, which is sometimes called ACOA, which stands for Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. Now, I had heard of ACOA. Mm -hmm. I never understood why those people needed a program. I never thought I qualified. And I hadn't heard the and dysfunctional Mm -hmm. families part of that. So I walk into the meeting with her because I was like, oh, I'll go for her. You know, her dad's an alcoholic. I don't need this program. And one thing they said was we reparent ourselves. And so my jaw hit the floor, as you can imagine, because I'm like, wait, that's a thing. And the other thing they did was they read the 14 traits of an adult child, which is affectionately called the laundry list. And I immediately identified with seven Mm -hmm. items. I later found out that I actually have like 13 of them because one of the hallmarks of being an adult child is that you are in denial. So you think things are normal, that are not, you don't understand that you've been traumatized. Um, You just, because things are comfortable to you, though they're not comforting, that they just seem like this is just the way that it is. So, I stayed um, in ACA. I stayed in CODA for about a year. And then, around that time, because of one of the women I was doing the 12 step with in my ACA program, um, I found out that I was also a compulsive overeater and I started going to Overeaters oh. Anonymous. I'm now down over 100 pounds from my top weight. I've been at my goal weight for five and a half years. I've done the 12 steps of recovery in both ACA and in OA multiple times. Um, Mm -hmm. Through a whole series of serendipitous events, I ended up starting my own coaching and consulting business. And then in 2019, I launched my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lesson from 12-Step Recovery. Um, I'm about to put out my 230th episode. Uh, 30 or more of those episodes are specifically about boundaries. And the Mm -hmm. reason for that and the reason I became a boundaries coach is that for me as a codependent, which is my core wound, is codependence? The antidote to codependence is building boundaries, mm-hmm. and so oh. I, I could go on forever. I want to stop there and let you guys. Oh no, 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 no,
1: that was question. You, uh, no. there, there, there's That's so much left. we can piggyback off that. It really is. Oh yeah, no,
0: for real, for real. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, it's it's so super super important, and and um, you know everyone's journey is, is going to be a little bit different. And, you know, you do have all of these out outside factors or environmental factors that will help either help your growth or stunt your growth. Um, Mm -hmm. and as you navigate through those things, you know, it is incredible to have community. That's uh, no matter what you believe in, no matter what your belief system is, community is one of the most important things. And Prestige Mm -hmm. and I, uh, just went to the Bridgeport Film Festival um, this weekend. And that really was more the theme. If you want to be in arts, you need a strong community around you. Um, and, you know, boundaries are so super, super important. Um, and especially coming from, um, you know, a, a childhood of both dysfunction and addiction. Uh, you know I totally get that um because who let me tell you you know and and i and I was a child I was a child of an addict when you were allowed to send your eight-year-old up to the the, the uh the store to pick up a pack of cigarettes and, and and a couple beers um you know as long as you had that note mom mm. said it's okay um you know I could you know take myself up there with my little tie uh and, and it worked out really nice so it's super super important as as you continue to go through there and how do you deal with i call them the aha moments Mm -hmm. you know kind of like oh i'm not supposed to live like this oh i've been doing it wrong this entire time oh Mm -hmm. everyone doesn't do that Mm -hmm. how do you deal with those moments because those are some of the most uh um i'm gonna say hurtful and sometimes hateful Moments or, or recognition, yeah, uh, rec- you know, recognition points yeah. Um, in in anyone's journey, and yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to hear how you uh, navigate yeah. that, or how you would instruct someone to navigate that.
1: Yeah, oh, WNHHLP so one hundred three point five FM New Haven, myself, prestige, and my partner in crime, Long Island, Rays, Elm City, made E Z Blues is in the building. We got the great Barb with us on Behind the Brand. Go ahead, my right, you navigated so- that. So well. that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank and I,
2: So um, easy. I will answer your question by sharing two major epiphanies that I had. Mm-hmm. So the first one was that I was codependent. So mm-hmm. I remember saying to my therapist, listen, I don't feel like I got hit in the b- head with a baseball with this news that I'm codependent. I feel like I got hit in the head with a planet. Like right. what the hell else don't I know about mm-hmm. myself? Oops. Sorry about that.
0: No, what
2: how do else don't I know about myself? Cause I'm like super introspective. I've been therapy for 37 years, not continuously. I've read seven gajillions, you know, like I'm doing the work and how did I not know this? And she said to me, you know, Barb, I think for you, codependence is a unifying concept. It pulls together a whole bunch of things about yourself. You did know, you just didn't know that they were related to each other. And when she first said it, I thought she was just saying it made me feel better. And as time went on and I got to understand more and more about codependence, I realized that it was actually true. So like Mm -hmm. integrating that understanding. And I think this is one of the reasons why in my first few weeks in CODA, I felt an enormous sense of relief because there was an explanation about these patterns. And I started to see my patterns as patterns Mm -hmm. that I hadn't seen before. And then I think for me, the number one most important thing I learned in 12-step recovery is something that we call my part in things. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing to create chaos and to exacerbate the chaos going on around me in my life. And I learned Mm -hmm. this pretty much in step four. I think if people know anything about 12 step recovery, they probably know that step four is we take a searching and fearless moral inventory of our lives. Right. And so I learned all of these patterns that I had and how destructive they were to me and potentially to my relationships and to other people. And so being able to see my part in things has been so important because one of the other major lessons you learn in recovery is to keep the focus on yourself. So a lot of people also know the serenity prayer, which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's the big thing. Because we may think that we know what we can control and what we can't, but most of us are so unclear about that. And I think that one of the most important tasks of being a human is to continually discern, can I control this? Can I not? If I can't, then I need to learn how to accept it. And if I can, then I need courage to change, you know, my part in things. And it turned out that, especially as a codependent, I was so focused out there on what you're doing, what he's doing, what she's doing, what they're doing, what does the situation need? What does the organization need? That I wasn't paying any attention to what's going on in here. And this is the only thing I can control.
1: So Mm -hmm. I'm trying
2: to control the outside world, which is impossible. And Mm -hmm. that means that's an endless drain on energy because you can't control it. And therefore I have nothing left to work on what's on in here. Never mind the fact that I'm not focused in here. So a large part of what I do as a boundaries coach is get people to keep the focus on themselves. In fact, the first time that I piloted my first group coaching program, the women in the group were just not getting it. And I I just came up with this one day. I go, all right, here's the thing. My top five rules for boundary setting keep the focus on yourself. 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 And I said it jokingly, but not really. Mm -hmm. And they got it. And they said to me at the end, like, that was the thing I remember because it was so dramatic the way that you talked about it. And so they're always thinking like, how do I keep the focus on myself? Because I'm the only thing I can control in this world. So I hope that that has answered your question about these epiphanies that we have.
0: <laughs> no, it's it, it's it's super super interesting because um, I come from a completely different side, I guess, of the spectrum, and I'm I'm learning that on an, an every day more and more basis because like I am I've never suffered from codependency. I've only ever suffered from like ultra self dependency. Um, Mm -hmm. So much so that it becomes damaging because people are like, I don't know what you're going through. Let me help you. And I'm like, I got this. Just go over there. It'll be Mm -hmm. fine. You know, um, so it's very, very interesting to hear the other side of that um, Mm -hmm. and to really understand. That there is two sides of the conversation, you know, everyone is going to go through something and they're going to go through it differently. You know, um, we say in art all the time, you know, Every song has already been written. It's just your perspective that is what's missing. Um, And it's very amazing to hear that that really just applies to life altogether. And if we can all start looking at life as more just like a living, breathing piece of art, maybe we'd all be, you know, a little bit happier, a little bit better, and maybe a little bit nicer to each other. Or then again, maybe we just have a huge circle pit um, on the green and uh, we just handle it that way. I'm okay with either option. It really just kind of depends on what everyone else wants to do. Just like, yeah,
2: yeah, I will say, like, um, you are what you're talking about is like rigid self sufficiency, that is a hallmark of codependence. So, it's not necessarily the other side mm-hmm. because codependent people frequently are so focused on other people and what they're doing, mm-hmm. and they will not accept help from other people. That is a hallmark of codependence. Like, I'm all about you, and so here's the thing I thought that I was nice. I Mm -hmm. thought that my helping and rescuing and fixing ways were because I was a nice person. Mm -hmm. And what I learned, I remember in, in early in code, I remember saying to somebody, okay, I'm starting to understand there's this continuum of helpfulness where at one end we've got kindly helpful, functional, healthy behavior. And the other end, we've got this unhealthy rescuing, fixing, enabling dysfunctional Mm -hmm. behaviors And I get the difference, the stark difference between those two things. It's in the middle of that continuum. Like, where do we cross over from being healthy to being unhealthy, from being, for example, helping to being rescuing? And the woman said to me, you know, Barb, it really depends on your motives. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it to be helpful to people? Or are you doing it because you want them to like you? And I was like, I'm totally doing it to be helpful. But as that question like sunk in and percolated, I realized I actually was seeking people's approval, or probably more realistically, I was trying to avoid their disapproval. So I mm-hmm. did not want people to think I was a bad person. And bad person mm-hmm. to me was someone who said no. Right. So as this journey unfolded for me, I realized I was a people pleaser. I never identified. I remember hearing the term and thinking, oh, my friend, Joanne, she's a people pleaser. But it turns out so was I because I was super invested in what other people thought of me. And as I started to unravel it more, I found out being a people, people pleaser is actually dishonest, and manipulative so it's dishonest because we say yes when we really want to say no and it's manipulative because the motive behind my behavior is to get you to approve of me mm-hmm. i'm trying to manipulate you into thinking a certain thing of me so when i thought that i was like oh, oh, oh my god, oh my god. Oh my god. And I realized, you know, cause I was then in ACA. Oh, this behavior came from somewhere. I'm not a horrible person. I learned it. It was adaptive at the time. Now that I know it, I got to stop doing it. And, you know, speaking of the dishonesty, I truly believed that I was an honest person when I got into mm-hmm. recovery. And oh, my God, I was so dishonest. I lied about cigarettes. I lied about drugs. I lied about alcohol. I lied about my relationships. I lied mostly in the people pleasing department. I was continually Mm -hmm. saying yes to things or, or that things were okay with me or I lied a lot by omission and not telling the people the truth. And I was in, that's another example I mentioned earlier, denial is one of the hallmarks of being an adult child. I was in such denial about my own behavior. I really mm-hmm. believed I was an honest person and here I was lying all the time. And so for me, like one of the, the well, like lines in the sand for me now is honesty. Like if I'm lying, I might as well mm-hmm. shoot some heroin, you know, because I never shot heroin. That was not my drug of choice, but, um, you know, it's like, you know, it's over for me because it's a, it's a right. slippery slope to me going back into all my dysfunctional behaviors and back into my, you know, addiction and, and substance use and all that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm um you know, I hope that I've answered your question. I've sort of lost the thread of what <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all right.
0: No, because, because you went, you went nah, on this, completely Yeah. You went on this, this amazing yeah. uh, journey with it and, and it's, it's so so super interesting because we you know I talk about it a lot and uh, we we have been talking about it uh, on the show a, a lot more, um, you know in in the journey in the journey that I'm going through, what I thought was superpowers was actually all trauma responses, and then you have to deal with the weight of that. You know, I'm like, oh, you know, I used to be able to go out and be the most social person in the entire world until you start digging a little bit deeper, and you're like, oh, you were like that so you could control the room. And, you know, you know, you made sure that you were needed at any point in time so that you mm-hmm. knew what the, the standards were going to be, you know, to, to go outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now as you get the healing aspect, you you know, now it takes me 45 minutes to an hour to get ready to build up the energy to go and do something like that. So it's, it's just super, super interesting as we heal Is there a way to hold on to, I guess, the superpowers that trauma has given us? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you mentioned trauma response, because one thing Mm -hmm. I didn't say was I learned that ACA is uh, a trauma recovery program where you reparent yourself and use the 12 steps Mm -hmm. of recovery. I didn't know that I was traumatized. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it, and and then when I like I I remember saying in my first few months in the program, like I did not have it as bad as many of the people in this room, but I have the traits, mm-hmm. and I kept kind of making excuses for why I was there. And when I finally learned that trauma can result from the absence of good things happening, I was like, mm-hmm. oh. Okay, and then right. what I learned years later is trauma is the result of unmet need. So most people think of trauma as I was in a car accident, I was raped, mm-hmm. was in a hurricane. That's what we often call big T trauma. It's a one-time mm-hmm. blunt thing. Well, trauma, relational trauma, is what I'm talking about. It's the drip, right. drip, drip of emotional invalidation, etc., gaslighting by your family, you know that sort of thing not feeling emotionally safe and it results from abandonment so sometimes it's actual like physical abandonment children are abandoned by their parents or something like that but often it's emotional abandonment like your emotional needs are not met and no parent is perfect and it it can happen from time to time and you can still grow up and not be traumatized it's the pattern of continual you know emotional invalidation etc so of course many of the traits that we develop are dysfunctional but they were adaptive as children mm-hmm. but part of the process of 12 step recovery especially in aca is to transform those into functional things so mm-hmm. being rigidly self-sufficient is dysfunctional humans are pack animals we are wired for connection with others we are not meant to be rigidly self-sufficient but you can transform that rigid self-sufficiency into a sense of independence that's healthy i mean i think the most healthy state to be is interdependent with other people right so i am still a very independent woman but i've learned to be interdependent in fact you know i'm i'm 60 now i met my sweetheart at 55 it's the first healthy romantic relationship I have ever had. I happen to be That's heterosexual. Awesome. So all the people I've dated awesome. men.
0: Yeah.
2: And this man that I have been with for almost five years now is actually gives me more support and more help than I give him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't work. I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on building a business and I have a couple of part-time jobs and I'm in two recovery programs and I have five sponsees and I have all these clients. So He Mm -hmm. has a lot more time on his hands than I do. And so I'm still a very independent woman, um, but Mm -hmm. I accept help and support from him. For example, he's super handy. So he helps me around my condo. He -hmm. loves to garden. He's planted three garden beds outside my condo. Mm -hmm. I do no work on them. I Mm -hmm. just appreciate them. And that's what he likes (laughs) to do. He enjoys. And I'm able to ask for, and accept help in ways that I never was before. But I'm still an independent woman. So I've toned my rigid self-sufficiency down to the point where it serves me. And I would say that it serves my community too because I don't just accept help from him, I accept help from other people. Mm. And if you're the kind of person who Mm. only wants to help and doesn't accept help from people, then you are going to attract right. people who only want help from you and never help you so if you want to be a member of an actual right. community and share with people both the good and the bad of your life mm-hmm. both your helping behaviors and your accepting behaviors then like toning down that rigid self sufficiency is really important and i think you know one of the myths that it, there's many myths about boundaries mm-hmm. And one of them is that you're going to be a jerk to people, that you're going to put mm-hmm. up walls with people. And, and I'm here to tell you that I'm actually more helpful now that I have healthy boundaries. So I called myself a volunteeraholic before I got into recovery. When I first got in mm-hmm. recovery, I was like, you know what? I'm quitting all of this and I'm going to volunteer for Barb. And that's what I did. And I dove into 12-step recovery. And then in recovery, I learned how to give service with love as opposed to as a compulsion, like I must give, I must help, I must save, I must rescue. And so I actually, in terms of hours per week, give more service to my community than I ever did before. So I'm still very helpful to other people, but I'm very strategic about it. I do it by choice. I have limits. And the other thing I do Is I instead of going to the world with a sense of lack, like I used to before I had healthy boundaries, I go from a place of abundance. So I mean that in a couple of ways. One, when I went to the world before, I went from a sense of lack in that I was like, like me approve of me like I needed something from the world. And I also went mm-hmm. from a place of lack because I was completely drained because I ran myself ragged and never took care of myself. So I was trying to pour from an empty mm-hmm. cup. Well, now that I have healthy boundaries, I give to myself first. So you know how they say in the airplane, you know, if the mask falls down, put it on yourself first, right. because but you your can't help, you help others someone else. Yeah. if you're passed out right? They don't say that like that. They don't say you can't help if you're passed out. Maybe it would be helpful if they did. But what I've learned is to fill my cup first so that I don't pour from my cup. I pour from the overflow. So when I go to the world to give, I pour from an overflowing cup. So I'm not being selfish by putting myself first. I'm being selfless because I'm pouring from an overflowing cup. And I'm not going to the world to get this approval that I was going before because I approve of me first. I don't need your approval. I would like your approval. It would be nice if you approved of me, but I don't need it anymore because I approve of me. So those are ways in which I used to go to the world from a place Mm. of lack. And now I come to the world from a place of abundance.
1: Barbara, um, just a quick question. Just everything you just said uh, was great information. But um, speaking of setting boundaries, um, just for normal people, everyday people, um, what are some ways that we gaslight but we don't know it at all?
2: Um, Well, when we tell people I don't need help, like you're human, Mm -hmm. of course you need help. Right. So you're gaslighting, like you may actually believe it. I actually believed that I didn't need help. And, and actually I, I want to mm. say a little something more about asking for help. Um, if you don't mind, it, I know yeah. it's not exactly, I know I, I've answered that one. Whatever, it's fine. But so I learning how to ask for help was a game changer for me. Cause it was a very humbling experience because what uh-huh. I came to see was that I thought somehow asking for help was weak. All right. So Mm -hmm. embedded in that assumption is that weakness is bad. Weakness Mm -hmm. is not bad. Weak is just weak. It's not strong. It's not bad. Number two, I thought somehow that I was lowering myself down by asking for help from other people, which showed me that on some level at least subconsciously definitely not consciously that i thought i was somehow better than the people that i was helping if i think i'm lowering myself by asking for help then i that means i have an embedded assumption that the people i've been helping are be- i'm better than them i don't believe that i don't believe mm. that intellectually but clearly on a subconscious level i i i believe that so that's why it was super humbling to learn how to ask for help And then when I started actually asking for help, well, actually, I want to say something about how I learned it. So I did the 12 steps of recovery in a small group of women. And we, one day, one of the women said, you know, I I was really upset the other day and I was going to call one of you and ask for support. And I talked myself out of it. And we all realized like, oh my God, I do the same thing. So we Mm -hmm. made a pact. Mm -hmm. We are no longer going to stop ourselves when we want to reach out for help. And then none of us did it. We still, even though we discussed it, we made a pact, we still couldn't do it. Like, that is how hard it is to start Mm -hmm. asking for help. And then, of course, we eventually started asking for help. And what I've realized now is like, oh, my God, help is awesome. I love help. This is what it's like to receive and to be fully human, I believe we need to have a balance between giving and receiving. And if we're constantly being this rigidly Mm -hmm. self-sufficient person and never asking for help and, and thinking like, like, I was like, I don't ask for help. I'm the person that people come to for help. Mm
0: -hmm. I
2: realized there was a certain arrogance about that. So that was also humbling. So I think like, you know, one way that you could describe all these misconceptions that I had in my health, my, in my head about help, were ways of gaslighting myself. And if I'm mm-hmm. gaslighting myself, then I'm gaslighting everybody mm-hmm. around. You know, so I hope that answers your question there.
1: No, it, 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 it definitely does so answer good. my question on WNHHLP 103.5 FM New Haven. Myself, Preston with my partner in crime, Long Island Rays, Elm City made EZ Blues is in the building. Go ahead, Easy.
0: No, it's it's just it's so super interesting because as you you hear a lot of similarities that you all they're also at least in the scope of things there's there's the the pendulum that swings in the complete and total opposite direction because like for myself and whatever I share my story I don't really care what anyone thinks of me so um you know for me it was a matter of no one's gonna show up for you anyway so just do it it's gonna just take less time you yeah. know. Yeah you know you're you know no one, it's just you like you're just gonna knock it out of the park no one's gonna be there so it doesn't really matter um and then you know why ask someone for help because you're only going to be disappointed when they don't show up or and then you're going to be mad at them although you understand that they are super busy and they're living their own type of life so instead so alleviate all of that extra argument and and mm-hmm. all of those feelings just get up and do it you darn sell. Mm-hmm. um you know so that's, you know, that's really what it comes down to. And I, and I love that from one, from one perspective, it can seem like, like a super, super, I want to say ego-driven, but, you know, not really ego-driven. And the other one is, is like a super, like just a worth issue, uh, like a self-esteem issue. Um, and I love, you know, how the positive and the negative are so mm-hmm. complete opposite spectrum, but the exact yeah. same if that makes any sense at all.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like, it's like precisely what you described. What you're saying is it was protective Mm -hmm. for you to become rigidly self-sufficient. It was protective Mm -hmm. for you to actually get your needs met because you had to get your needs met. And it was Mm -hmm. psychologically protective because you weren't going to continually be disappointed. Right. And then from an ego perspective, what eventually happens is we start to believe we can only be self-sufficient. And then what happens is we project this image of self-sufficiency. And so we attract people around us who want to be around people who are self-sufficient, who are people that cannot be relied upon. And so then every once in a while, when we do venture out and ask for help from somebody, the people we're surrounded with are people that want help. They don't want to give help and they're probably Mm -hmm. incapable of it. So we reinforce the behavior. I can't depend on the people around me. So I might Mm -hmm. as well be self-sufficient. And, you know, that was me. And so what I learned in recovery was how to discern who is a trustworthy person, who is a reliable person, who is a dependable person, and to only ask those people. So, you know, one thing that I used to do before recovery was like, I was I would say, oh, I'm a super trusting person. I trust people until they give me reason not to. Well, that was a Mm -hmm. lie. Because I continued to, quote, trust them even after they showed me that they were right. untrustworthy. And then I would get mad at them for being untrustworthy. And I would blame them. And going back to I, I talked about learning my part in things, well, my part in that was that I trusted the untrustworthy person and expected them to be different? I acted almost like, well, if I just love them enough, they'll turn into a trustworthy person, right? Or that they'll, I can, I can trust them. Maybe other people can't because I'm in this special mm-hmm. category right. of like helping and rescuing and fixing them, and that just that wasn't really true. And so I learned over time that trust is built over time you can only build trust by seeing patterns of behavior which can Mm -hmm. only be just be discerned over time and the same thing like it's trusting to ask someone for help and so you have to like watch people and it really like one of the things about being in the community of recovery is you're with people at all different levels of recovery. There are people who've been in the program for years and people that came in last week and everything in between. And you start to see, okay, these people are consistent and what they do is what they say. So I can probably trust them. And you start to see there's a difference between how these people are showing up and what their lives look like. And so you start gravitating towards the people that you can actually ask support from and get it. And then you start getting the rewards of getting support and you get reinforced for this positive mm-hmm. behavior. And then you start, like I started trusting myself. It was actually the process of building healthy boundaries that got me to trust myself, that got me to love myself. I always had high self-esteem. I always liked myself. What I realized was I had low self-worth. If mm-hmm. you look at the, the history of my life, like that is not a woman who feels worthy And now I feel worthy and I love myself and I trust myself. And that happened because of building healthy boundaries. I got to know like what's okay and what's not okay. And I got to learn how to set limits with people and follow through for myself and all that sort of thing. So, you know, like, as you can see, like all these things are like coming together, they're all related mm-hmm. to each other, like building healthy boundaries and self-esteem and trust and asking for help and support and recovering from trauma and, you know, being honest and all that sort of thing. They all come together.
0: No, they, they really do. And and for for a lot of listeners, I'm, I'm just going to say right now, it is Completely okay to be terrified of every single word that has been said on on, on this on this episode today. It, and and not only that, it does show that you're human. So if any part of this did make you feel uncomfortable, there's a whole bunch of people that are out there that that are going that, mm-hmm. that are there to help you. Absolutely. If you really super super need help, Prestige's uh, mailbox is always open. Feel free mm-hmm. to hit him up. I am busy because I don't trust anybody, and this just an easier life for me. Um, but you know, as as we continue to to, to grow and and to move forward uh, through this. What is that next evolution? Because you went mm-hmm. from, you know, it being a change in your life, a change in your lifestyle to now mm-hmm. being a way to grow mm-hmm. through help others, but also mm-hmm. build um, mm-hmm. generational wealth, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, yeah. Yeah. What's absolutely. that process like?
2: So are you asking me, like, what's the next step? Like, if yes. people want to work with me? Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. A little bit of everything. Yeah, yes. I-, I would say next step like, in your journey personally, yeah. professionally, yeah. and like yeah. long-term. Yeah.
2: yeah. So if somebody wanted to work with me, most basic thing you can do is follow me on Instagram. That's my favorite social media outlet. I'm at higher power coaching. Um, if you're a podcast listener, even if you're not, my podcast is called fragmented to whole life lessons from 12 step recovery. You can find me on any podcast outlet or go to fragments to whole.com. And you will find ways to get to every conceivable podcast outlet Um, I also do boundaries coaching. And in fact, um, this week is the last week to register. I'm doing an eight week build better boundaries program for women. So there's a kickoff uh, on Zoom on this coming Saturday, the 16th, from two to five. And then the weekly program is on Wednesday nights, 7pm Eastern Time, 7 to 830 for eight weeks. And it's um, open to women. And I have a growing multimedia curriculum on how to build better boundaries. I also have a workbook. So the coaching calls, they'll learn about how to build better boundaries. We'll go over a module. They'll go through the curriculum and then they go to the workbook, which is where they do weekly exercises to build their own boundary system. That means they're taking everything they're learning and applying it to their own personal life. I cannot tell you the transformations that I have led people through. It's astonishing to me that the journey of building boundaries, which took me, I would say, like two to three years through this like meandering process in 12-step recovery. I've learned how to accelerate that process for people, which is the curriculum that I came up with. And I'm astonished at the changes for people. If none of that is appealing to you, you'd rather work with me one-on-one. I love doing, I have a 12-week coaching program. The curriculum is the same, except for that they get tons of individualized feedback with me. I also have lots of free uh, resources on boundary building on my Instagram account. Just go back through my feed. I do reels and posts all the time. I have a bunch of free stuff on my website as well. And I I think, you know, like dipping your toes in, if it sounds to you like codependence is an issue for you, um, the ACA program, you can go to adultchildren.org. You can go, uh, I think it's CODA.org for codependence. Um, If you have a problem with compulsive overeating or sugar addiction, Overeaters Anonymous is OA.org. Um, if alcohol is your problem, AA.org. you know, if you just Google 12 step recovery, there's, I think there's some like 200 and something, 12 step recovery programs for all kinds of things. Also, you can reach out to me because I'd be happy to get you connected with the program that you need. Um, the best way to do that is go on, you know, DM me on Instagram. You can also email Mm -hmm. me barb at higherpowercc.com. Um, I'd love to get you connected with whatever kind of help that you need. But I think, you know, admitting to yourself, my life isn't working and I want it to change. And listen, I was 52 when I got into recovery Mm. and it's never too late. I've met people who have been in their late sixties when they got into recovery and it's better to have even one year of happy joys and free life than not to have it at all and so help is possible recovery is possible it is like it's never too late healing is possible and no one is beyond hope no one i don't care how hopeless you think it is for you it's not i've seen worse
1: Ooh, that's a lot wow. to handle um oh my goodness yeah Oof. A little bit hot in here. Oh, my God. Is Oh, my God. Boost. <laughs> you okay?
0: Yeah. Oof. It's telling oh, too man. much truth. The internet said no. Not this much
1: truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, unfortunately, we have a last minute of the podcast. And um, just any more words of inspirational advice you just want to give somebody? Uh, We just want to give this time to you. So, Bob, Bob, go right ahead.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it would be keep the focus on yourself. And one of the best ways to do that when you're talking with other people is to use I language. So for example, if you are, um, someone is overwhelming you, and you feel like they're too much for you, or they're driving you crazy, don't say that. Don't say you're driving me crazy. You're too much for me say, I need some alone time right Mm -hmm. because that's the actual issue is that you need some alone time you need to decompress and communication is actually more likely to happen when you keep the focus on yourself if you say you're driving me crazy first of all using the word you is going to put them on the defensive and when you use an inflammatory word like crazy it's -hmm. even more likely to put them on the defensive conflict is likely to ensue rather than communication So keep the focus on yourself. And a super easy way to do that is to use I language. It's very difficult for someone else to dispute. Well, you don't actually need alone time, but it's very easy for them to dispute. You are driving me crazy or you are too much for me. So I would say keep the focus on yourself. And the other thing is, please, please, please take really good care of yourself. You know, one of the phrases that we use in recovery to to convey that is halt. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? If you were hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, Mm. you want to halt. If you're hungry, eat. If you're angry, express that anger in a constructive way. If you're lonely, connect with another person. And if you're tired, please rest. Like, take care of this meat suit that you're walking around in. Don't ignore it
1: absolutely barb thank you so much for being part of pro- pro- yeah if i can barely speak because i need to take care of myself uh thank you so much for being part of the program myself preston and ez blues is in the building for behind the brand on wnhhlp 103.5 fm new haven appreciate you thank you thank you
2: thank you so much thank you absolutely.
1: It.
0: wondering what to write about Trying to figure out what it's all about. Excellent, Celeste. Am I worth anything or just a scout?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Spending time all alone. Sending my songs to the phone.